Would you stand with me for the reading of the word? Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Just one verse today. Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. My first visit to Canada was from the U.S. around 23 years ago. I was visiting a friend in South Bend, Indiana, and then I took a train from Chicago all the way to Toronto. And I like traveling in train because it helps you enjoy the scenic beauty of the landscape without getting stuck in the traffic. So I remember, <laughs> you know, sitting in the train, looking outside, enjoying America, and I wonder how Canada is going to look like. And then at the border of the New York State and the state of Ontario in Canada, the magic happened. I entered Canada from the U.S. And to my surprise, nothing changed. <laughs> it actually looked the same. America and Canada looked the same. People looked the same. Vehicle looks the same. Places look the same. Except a big difference I noticed. In the U.S. side, in the road signs, the speed limits I noticed was 40, 50, 60, then I crossed Canada, that signs changed to 70, 90, 110. I'm thinking, wow, Canadians are cooler, right? <laughs> they are like fast and furious. And Equally important surprise was, I was looking at the gas stations outside, the gas price. In the U.S. side, it said 189, 199. Yes, there was a time like that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> then we crossed over to Canada, the gas prices said 50 cents, 60 cents, 70 cents. And I'm thinking, my goodness, I can fill my tank with one-third the price and drive double, double the speed in Canada. <laughs> so that's how I ended, I ended up Canadian. It was, it was all a big mistake. <laughs> now, as you know, <laughs> as you know, the Canadians measure the distance not in miles but in meters and kilometers like normal people do 
<laughs> and Canadians <laughs> measure <laughs> the volume not in gallons <laughs> but in liters like normal people's do, right? <laughs> so, sorry for hurting your American ego. I'm, I have a green card, I'm an American too now, right? So, the reason I'm talking about this is that the measure is determined by, not only by the quantity that is specified, but also by the unit in which it is written, right? The metric system within which the value is specified determines the actual measure. Now, we don't get that very often because the value we try to think of whether we measure the success in life, significance in life, progress of a society, all of this, we focus more on quantity and less on quality. Because quality comes from the unit or the standard of measure. Without the standard of measure, there is no value to the quantity being expressed. And I remember when I was in elementary kids and I was just thinking about this and my favorite topic, favorite subject was math. And one of the reasons I liked math was because that's one subject you can get 100% if you do a good job. And I was very particular about scoring 100%. I kind of had that pleasure in getting 100% for math. And I remember one particular exam, and I didn't get, I was marked down by the teacher. I was very upset. I looked at this particular answer, got marked down, and it was some, something like, you know, Tommy had 10 apples, and Sally had five oranges, and they put it in a basket, and then somebody else took this, and then finally, what is, how, what is left in the basket? That was the question. And I knew the answer was nine for whatever reason, and I knew. So maybe did I make a mistake when I got the answer paper? I have the right answer. It was nine. I went to the teacher. I said, teacher, my answer is correct, nine. See, here it is. Then she said, yeah, I know you got the right answer. But you didn't say this nine is apples or oranges. I just wrote the nine. I just wrote the right answer. But it did not have the unit. Because without the unit, your value, it doesn't have a meaning. And I, that lesson stuck with me. It was such a pinch. It was such a troublesome thing, you know, for me to lose that mark over a simple mistake, even though I got the correct calculation. And I proved my knowledge in math at that time. The reason I'm talking about this is... In the scripture today, it says, by your standard of measure, you will be measured. <laughs> it is not about God giving you back multiple times, and that is all correct. But the metric system you used in this world, the value system you set for the generation, is the way you are going to be measured by heaven. So it is not just a matter of quantity, but also 
quality, how you view money, how you view life, and what is the standard of measure. No, the question is not what is the measure, not about how much you gave, but what did you give? What was the standard of measure? See, I was looking forward to preaching this sermon because <laughs> it is this, the job <laughs> of a senior pastor or the, this, the CEO of any not-for-profit organization to raise funds and to, to teach people about the importance of giving and tithing and all that kind of stuff. And if I don't do that, it is, it is a dereliction of duty. And I have not really done that. So always the pastors have this formidable task of preaching about giving normally by the financial year end, which is August, and also, also the, the, the actual calendar year end, which is December. I skipped all of them by saying one thing or the other. Or the other time is tax season. Tax season is when you think about money. Some of you get some money back. That's a good time to come and ask you for money. And some of you will be filing taxes, realize that I need to give more charitable income, you know, tax, sorry, charitable uh, giving so that I can adjust the taxes. And this is a good time to preach on giving. So I had this magical sermon prepared in my mind so that I am going to come and preach one great sermon. I will empty everybody's pocket. And that's what I was thinking today. But, but then I read the title of the sermon rooted class today. It is, how does God view money? See, it has nothing to do with how does, it has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with your giving. It is not about you handling money. It is about how does God view money? Oh, so actually this is not about giving. <laughs> This is not about giving, that's about us, our view of money. This is about giving, this is not about giving, this is about how does God view money? I never really thought about that. How does God view money? Think with me here. Why do we want money? I don't know, I want money for sustenance, right? Sustenance, provide for <laughs> daily living, my family, kids, everybody. But then, is that enough? No, no. I need a little more money so that I can have some kind of security for rainy days, right? Like what they call stash, a secret stash, just in case something happened. So we need money not only for sustenance, we need money for security, and we need money for safety, in a way. Is that enough? No, no, I need a little more money so that I can feel the power, that I can do what I want when I want, right? That money gives you that, right? Money gives you that power to do what you want when you want. There's nothing inherently wrong with any of this, by the way. So I, I would need a little more money to have uh, not only sustenance or safety or security, but to have the power is that enough? No, no. I need a little more money <laughs> so that I can have control. Not just I want to have, feel the power of what I can do, but I also want to have a sense of control. I can influence. 
I can influence the society, and can influence the church, and I can influence the educational system. For that, you need power, not just power, it's a sense of control, right? The more money. I mean, you, got, you get the point. These are all the things money can really buy. Safety, sustenance, safety, security, power, control. Here is the problem. God doesn't need any of it. <laughs> God has all of it. God has all of it. So God doesn't, God doesn't need money. The only thing God wants, what is the only thing God wants? The only thing God wants is human hearts. Our love. God wants our relationship. God wants our loving hearts. Now that is the only thing money can't buy. You know that, right? From the MasterCard advertisement. There are certain things money cannot buy. That is precisely the thing God wants. So, God looks at money as just color papers. You know, when, when my kid, little kids, when, when, when our kids, when they grew up, when they played with, they used to play with the dollar bills, like as it was color, because it's particularly Canadian dollars, if you see, it's so pretty. <laughs> it's so pretty, it's multicolored, it's very beautiful. They used to play with it because they didn't understand the value of that, that bill. It was just color paper. It's almost like God is like a child. I feel, this is my frustration, right? I feel sometimes God is like a child playing with dollar like a, some kind of a color paper. He doesn't understand. See, sometimes Jesus' lack of understanding of money frustrates me as a pastor. <laughs> yeah, he said, all these rich people came and put the offering. You remember that episode? Then a widow came, and the widow put two mites in the basket. Jesus stood up and said, this widow who put two mites in the basket gave more than everybody today. Excellent. That is very good for a sermon, but no, it is not good when you balance the budget. Right? <laughs> it is not good when you balance the budget. Jesus, it is good. It is, see? And then there is this lady comes with the alabaster oil of perfume, and the actual market cost today for that perfume was around $54,000. And she breaks it and put it on. And Judas, like any responsible treasurer would say, don't waste this money. And Jesus doesn't seem to care. I don't understand. I, I'm still on the side of Judas. Because he has a point. <laughs> he has a point, right? Then Jesus on the other side flips the coin. And then he goes to a rich young ruler and says, sell everything you have and then give it to poor. And I'm like, I like the first part, sell everything you have, but give it to the church, not to the poor, right? I have these bills to pay. I'm sure the Jerusalem temple had a bigger budget than Lake Avenue Church. It was a humongous building. Jesus, it's good that you ask everybody to sell their property, but let them bring that to church. Don't just give it to poor people, see? It's so difficult to talk finances with Jesus because it is like talking to my child who looks at dollar bill as some kind of 
color paper. Because God has no value. God doesn't find any value for money. Because in world's econo economy, we consider money as a storage of value, which it is. In world's economy, money is a storage of value. But in God's economy, it is just a tool for transaction. God wants to use it as a tool for transaction. That's the difference between these two economies. Unless and until we really know this, God will not give you money. I have seen this. See, I have seen this, that real smart, rich people think like Jesus in that way, whether they are Christian or not. They don't give too much value to the money. See, people who, are, who give too much value to money, they tend to save it, and then they tend to hoard it, and they don't, they don't make any money from it. They will get a percentage or whatever. But the real investors, they don't really find much value in money. Now, I've, I've, I've hung out with many. I have a lot of rich people, rich friends. They have, I would call, a healthy disrespect for money. A healthy disrespect for money. That's why they put it out in the market. They invested. And I have a very good uh, friend in Toronto. And he is he's very, you know, we have um, uh, the kids of the same age. And so we, I was the pastor and we, I used to lead or I was part of a small group, family group we call. And while the, the meeting happens, he will get calls and he will just jump out. So he was in uh, foreign exchange trading. Right? Like, you know, he buys foreign currency and he sells it. That's what he does. Extremely rich. Everything you want and he has it. Wonderful brother in Christ. And so, so I remember, you know, and I've given him permission to take the calls anytime because when you deal with foreign exchange market, apparently he's 24-7 because the, the New York exchange, is, exchange closes in the evening, I believe, but then the other exchange in other part of the world open. So his world is 24-7, right? So, so he, would, he would get this call. So whenever he gets a call, okay, he can take it. So he will get, he, I remember one day he got, he got this call while I'm teaching, and then he went and took the call, and I saw him having an animated conversation with somebody and came back, and then, then he's just, you know, cool, calm, and collected, and said, hey, uh, what was the call about? Are you okay? He said, oh, yeah, yeah, no, no, nothing, nothing big. I just lost $3 million. And I'm like, what? what three? What? Why did you say? Oh, oh, oh I, I'll, I'll gain it tomorrow. I, I got $4 million yesterday, by the way. I gained $4 million yesterday. I'll, I'll gain it tomorrow. No, no big deal. No big deal. And, I'm, and he always say, it's only money, Pastor Matthew. And he always say that. I really remember. It's only money. <laughs> What do you mean it's only money, $3 million? And if I had that, you, I will disappear from here. You won't see me. If I get $3 million, I, you won't, I don't want to do anything. He just lost $3 million in five minutes. That's the kind of market that he's in. And he comes back and sits, sits there as if nothing happened to him. Because he always, he was the richest person in that church. He was the one who would always call me at the end of the year, Pastor Matthew, is there any need to help uh, balance the budget? He's the person. But he had a healthy disrespect for money. And I really like that about him. That was a Jesus way of looking at it because he knew that money is not just a storage of value, but it is also a tool of transaction. 
Now that brings us to the question, what is the standard of measure that we use in our own life? What is the, what is the standard of success, right? When do, you, when do you say that you are successful? What is the value system we project? I don't know. For me, career is very important. Having significance of the senior pastor of a prestigious church like Lake Avenue Church is definitely part of that measure, <laughs> the standard of measure. Uh, you know, I measure the success. And obviously, money is an important part. My investment, I, which I have none, by the way. Well, we have a savings account, right? So, which is a big deal, which we have for a long time. But what I'm saying is that portfolio for some people is important. And coming from the Asian culture, the most important thing, and I, I don't want to speak on behalf of all Asians, but in the Asian culture, education is the most important. It's more important than money. And I remember my dad, he only went to elementary school. He was the brightest kid in, in his class, but he couldn't continue education. At the age of 12, he had to become a merchant. You know, this is back in India, poor. Uh, he was brought up in a poor family. But so he wanted to make sure that I get as much education as possible. And I remember when I was at Fuller uh, doing my PhD, he would say with pride to all his friends in, in, in India, I sent my son to school when he was four years old. Now he is 44, he is still in school. And <laughs> I don't know, that's a good thing or a bad thing, but, but he was very happy about that. He didn't care that I, I didn't make any money or send him any money, but the fact that I was in school, because education, in that part of the world, and specifically for some people, is very important. But school you went to is important. How much money? And all of this, right? Which is, I mean, this is, this is nothing um, um, significant, which you already know. But now let me ask you another question. What is the standard of measure for God's blessing in your life? That's the second question. What is your standard of measure for blessing of God? So when you say a person X or Y is blessed by God, what do you actually, what are you actually saying? He has good health, wealth, good education, obviously, good marriage, good kids, right? This, this is what I say, oh, he is blessed. She is blessed. See what happened there? The irony is that we use the same standard of measure that we used to measure a physical thing and we attributed that to the spiritual thing. We use the same standard of measure for measuring the material and the spiritual. Now, the irony is that if that is the standard of blessing we have, then Jesus is the least blessed person in the world. He didn't have wealth. He didn't really have good health, depending on how you look at it. He didn't fiercely have a marriage. And and he would be antithesis of anything we measure 
our so-called blessing with. And when we talk about a successful minister, we always think about a minister with a lot of clout, like a celebrity speaker with, uh, with uh, millions of Twitter followers and written so many books and have a PhD in theology, and Jesus had none of this. Oh, unfortunately, we, our standard of measure has gone haywire. We really need to check. It is not about the quantity, but about the quality and the metric with which we measure, the metric with which we evaluate people. This defines our relationship. How do we evaluate? Evaluate means a process of adding value to a person. How do I relate to this person? How do you value? What kind of value system we use? Luke chapter 12, 21. Jesus said this. So the man who stores up treasure for himself, so is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So this is about that story of a rich fool and you know the conduct. But Jesus used the word, this is about a person who was not rich toward God. So he introduced two standards of measure, two metric system there. One is rich toward God, and another one is rich toward the world. Does that make sense? What do you mean by rich toward God? Rich toward me, God means we become rich in the attributes of God. What are the attributes of God? God is wealth. Is that how you attribute? God is health. Is that what, how we say? God is education. Is that the attribute of God? No. God is love. God is good. God is merciful. So when you say we are becoming rich toward God, it means we are rich in love, we are rich in goodness, and we are rich in mercy, and that is the currency, that is the value system, that is the metric with which God is going to measure our return in heaven, our rewards in heaven. That's why this is extremely important. If we get the standard of measure wrong, everything goes wrong. Now, all the JPL engineers here know this story is coming, right? <laughs> there is a danger in mixing the standards of measure. A very notorious story in 1998. <laughs> Mars orbiter, climate orbiter, I guess, of NASA failed, $125 million plus. And they couldn't figure out what went wrong. Our JPL engineers figured the math and realized there was a simple mistake. The contractor who worked on that project used the imperial system as the American system and they gave the calculation to the JPL engineers, I believe, and they gave it to them, but then JPL and other, you know, they used the international system, which is the metric system, but they used the same measure. They didn't convert the standards of measure. So the contractor used one metric system, and the engineers used another metric system. As a result, 
they sent out whatever they sent out, this climate orbiter, with wrong measurements. Such a simple mistake with dangerous consequences. Now, I want us to learn something from that. See, one of the problems we are facing in America today is that our Christianity in particular, we used mixed value system when we pass this on to our generation. What I'm saying is that we would, in the so-called Christian America, we will go to the pulpit and we will preach. The preacher will preach about selling all your property and giving it to the poor. And then the weekdays, we go to our home and we try to amass as much property as we can. There is nothing wrong with any of this. But the thing is that there was a, the, the, the next generation grew up seeing a disparity in the value system which is being projected from the pulpit but is lived in their home. Their dad and mom, they go to the church and they enjoy the worship and they, they praise God and they, they talk about all the noble things, but at home, they hang out with their fraternity, their kind of people or their class of people, and, they, and the little kids were watching this. Because there is the, they, they found the, the generation using one metric when they come to the church or Sunday and a different metric on other days. And as a result, even worse thing happened. Then again, I'm, I know this. I'm not going to politics of this, but there is this, this thing that there is this, there is this big controversy about social gospel and, you know, preaching about politics from the pulpit and all that kind of stuff. And I despise all that. But at the same time, I'm sympathetic because in some way, this next generation is trying to overcompensate for that they thought was missing from the other dimension, the other metric. And this is a tricky thing. And this creates a vicious circle on one side or the other. The point I'm trying to make is we have a golden chance to set the value system for our Gen Z generation. And we have to use this wisely. This is a window of opportunity God has given to us. Give them the right kind of value system. That is the best thing. People always ask me, what is the good, what is the best parenting advice you can give? I always say, make sure that your children learned a good value system. That is the best gift you can give to them. Not the trust fund, not the money, not the education. Teach them a good value system. That has to come from your life. See, Joanna and I are people with a lot of flaws. We are not perfect. We are not as nice as many people think of us are. And but our kids, our kids have seen us at our worst. And they may have many complaints about us, but one thing they will never say, that my dad or my mom were very different on Sunday and the rest of the days. Whatever we lived, whatever we spoke, that is exactly how we try to lead our life. Whenever we sp speak about leading a life of faith, trusting the Lord for everything, that is exactly they saw at their home. 
And they have all these pictures of birthdays. And, you know, when we had a home back in Toronto, Joanne would invite all these people from the church to, uh, church to lunch. And, you know, our kids now go through their <laughs> second birthday, third birthday. And they look at the, all the strangers in the picture. They don't know who any of them are because they all left in different parts of the world. But they always remember that their parents did not try to invite only the rich kind of people. They did, their parents did not try to invite only the people in their class, educated kind of people. They, their parents did not try to invite only people of Indian or Asian origin or nothing like that. They have always, they, you know, these are the testaments. What I'm saying is that the standard we set for our children with our life on an everyday basis is way more important than we profess on Sunday. So make sure that we don't mix the standard of measure. Don't mix the metric so that we will not end up with another Mars orbiter collapse, right? To conclude, see, the real reason is, as the verse clearly says, by your standard of measure, you will be measured as well. See, when we go to heaven, God is going to reward all of us, but he will use the same value system we used in, on earth. What, what do I mean, that, for, mean by that? So, say, for example, if I give you, if, we got, if I randomly call, I don't know, four people and give them four ATM cards loaded with $100, okay? I'm giving four people four ATM cards loaded with $100 each. But here is the catch. One is US dollar, one is Canadian dollar, one is Australian dollar, and one is Singaporean, Singapore dollar. Now, how will that look like? You all thought you got the same thing, right? Because the metric, the standard of measure is different. And I have a feeling that when we all go to heaven, God will give us an ATM card to use in heaven. Loaded with the same amount. This is my heretical thought, okay? This is not the, not the word of God. This is my heretical thinking. God will give us equally, you know, an ATM card loaded with the same amount, then you will say, now, what is the metric you use? That's how the value is going to be. All this money we earned and the focus we had in life, that will evaporate into thin air when you enter into that spiritual reality. But those who are rich toward God, now then the unit kind of changes. Unit kind of changes. I look at Forbes' list of billionaires once in a while. They have a real-time list of Forbes' list of billionaires and all these big names, are, you know, all these big names on top. But imagine when we go to heaven, there'll be like that Forbes list of billionaires and then currency, an angel will come and wipe off the currency because U.S. dollars are not accepted in heaven, right? 
So you will wipe off the currency and you will put a God dollar in it. I'm just coming up with all of this, right? You know, and, and here is the metric. I'm going to use the same number. I'm going to change the metric. <laughs> and the list suddenly, the list is going to flip. Some of us who are at the very bottom of the list or who are even not worthy to be in that billionaire list suddenly will go up because the unit suddenly changed. Now, who is rich toward God, not rich toward the world? And that's going to be the deciding factor. The point I'm trying to make is make sure that your reward and know that your reward in heaven will be measured on the same metric system you used on earth. Make sure you get your unit right. One day, you are going to cross the border. (laughs) One day, the value system is going to change. And all those things you gathered as treasures will become nothing. And that's why Jesus said, store up your treasure in heaven where moths will not destroy, rust will not destroy, the thieves will not enter and take it away if you use the correct currency. And here is the good news. Every border crossing of any country, you will see a currency exchange station. You can change your currency. Church is the largest currency exchange institution in the world. This is where you change your currency. You put your earthly dollars here so that you can have heavenly dollars you can use there. And I invite you to be on God's mission, to use the same standard of measure, and to evaluate people using God's metric, and de- redefine your relationship based on heaven's eyes. How God views money, it should be the same way you should view money as well. Let us pray. Father God, you said, well, the scripture says, where your treasure is, there, your, there will be your heart also. Lord, we give you our heart. Along comes all the treasure. Lord, help us not to make the same mistakes many have made in the world, thinking that money is going to buy us security, safety, power, and control. But today we rededicate ourselves to be rich toward God and to be rich in our attributes of God, to be more loving, to be more compassionate, to be more good according to your terms and your metric so that we will be receiving the same measures in our lap, pressed together, running over. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.